from Grooveview Studios in Columbus, Ohio. This is Getting the Brand Back Together, a podcast exploring the interdisciplinary art of banding, branding, and business building. Rock and roll relic, poet, writer, and brandist. I'm your host, Brad Cerconi. Today, we're joined by Scott Steinecker, the CEO of Promo West Productions, and now Regional Vice President for AEG Presents. Great to see you. I haven't seen yeah. you since we played The Andy Man. Is that right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you arrived backstage with a yeah. little something, something. Yeah. Right before the toll hit the stage. Yeah. A little shot of tequila, maybe. I or? think you had, some, it might have been brown. I think you might yeah. have done, it might have been tequila. Yeah. It might have been Jack. I don't remember. Yeah. But it was very nice of you to do that. You're welcome. We had not played together for that show at your yep. place. Yep. Since getting off the road with the Ramones some 18 years Man. prior the Ramones. I got some good Ramones stories. Okay, well, that's where we're going to start. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a very nice... That's uh, not event. the night you broke your ankle, is it? No, that was... We just talked about that on earlier today. You know the venue. Yeah. It was, Pittsburgh. Yeah, it was, it was. Um, Graffiti's. Yeah. Yep. In Pittsburgh. I jumped yep. off that balcony. Rich Engler. So, I was supposed to be at the Newport. Remember, Geffen had flown in, yep. had bought tickets. All the program directors. All of them. Yeah. And they sent a video out. Remember, and the tease was come see this band live. Yep. And then I'm supposed to be at your place the next night. Yep. Instead, I'm in a pit. Shatter your ankle. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had to cancel all the program directors. You weren't happy with me, probably. No. <laughs> <laughs> Rich Ingler, let me tell a quick Rich yeah, Ingler. Yeah. And are we no, okay just bantering you. about it? This is what we're doing. Okay. Rich Ingler for years was the main promoter in Pittsburgh. Okay. And he would get guitars signed by all the artists. The okay. Stones and the Who and all of them. Yeah. He's now selling that guitar collection for $3 million. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Chatfield, right, is doing that in Vegas now. Mark Chatfield, yeah. guitars for the gods. Yep. Uh, he's doing some high-end stuff. And Rosie. And Rosie. Yeah. He played on your stage with the toll a number of times. Yeah. matter of fact, I found a video. Chatfield's backstage with us getting ready to go on. So uh, we played, I think, the gods got to keep it running or something Yeah. back then. So let's start with your story because I think it's fascinating and I was so happy uh, when I heard everything that's happening with AEG and I was fortunate enough to work with you uh, as your agency of record. Let's put that on the record. Yep. For two and a half years, I think we were together yep. helping you build a brand out yep. of all the wonderful things that you've done. Yep. And that was a great time and it was it was great to work with you in that, in that way. And that was post my days of the toll. That's what I did. I started yep. my own ad agency. And I'm glad that you had the faith in me and my team to help you in, along your way. So yep. I appreciate that. Yep, appreciate it. I call you the Bill Graham of the Midwest. Cool. And I hope I hope you take that as a massive compliment. Yeah. That guy's a genius. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. But a, as a highly successful promoter, uh, what does that mean to you today? And tell tell our listeners, first of all, give them a little background about Bill Graham because they're not inside the business like you and I. Yep. And then how that influenced, Scott, the trajectory of your life path, oh, huge, really. Huge. Right? So tell us. Bill Graham was the largest promoter in concert history. He was the big guy in San Francisco. He had the Fillmore West. He also had the Fillmore East for a bit in New York City, but mainly it was the Fillmore West. Right, in San Fran. San Fran. Yeah. He did all, it was Bill Graham, BGP, Bill Graham Presents. That's right, I remember the logo. Yep. And Frank Barcelona. Yeah, my, you know, that was my guy. That was your book, guy from us. Premier Talent. Talent Agency. In New York City, baby. At, at one point, 
had all the big dog promoters, Jules Belkin in Cleveland and uh, Arnie Granite in Chicago and uh, Zuckerman, Irv Zuckerman in St. Louis and Barry Fay in Colorado and, and but Bill Graham and all that. He brought them all to New York and said, when I bring the who, when I bring these big bands over from Britain, you're going to get Jules, you're going to get Ohio. Bill, you're going to get San Francisco. He divvied really? up the country. Okay. So Bill Graham ended up being the largest promoter based out of San Francisco, but he was the first guy who bought a world tour of an act. He bought the Stones world tour. So he would just purchase the tour outright. He, well, he was the first guy who did it. Okay. Now, you know, Live Nation does yeah, it. Everybody, that's that's yeah. what they do it. That, right. Um, but, but that Bill, was his model. He invented he doing it. He first that. did that, but wow. he also, how I followed him, when I went to school uh, to Bowling Green, I had engraved in my locker, my dorm room, Bill Graham, Jules Belk, and Jerry Weintraub. And that's who I wanted to become. I love it. Was one of those three guys. And Bill Graham. So you're a freshman at BGSU, freshman and at that's BGSU. what you're focused on. Yeah. I went there to play baseball, but I got. That's right. You're a hell of a baseball yeah, player. Yeah. Got focused on wanted to be in the concert business. Okay. So Bill Graham did or I'm doing now what Bill Graham did. He would take artists in San Francisco and play them in small clubs and then graduate to a little bit bigger. Right. All the way up to the San Francisco Civic or the Cow Palace. Right, right. So he, he did the, the levels and that's what kind of gave me the idea. That's what I want to do in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Is be that developer of artists. Right, right. So you start, you know, we've, the band now is Camp. Yeah, I know all about you them. You know about camp. Yeah. But I mean, all Which through the- Which I want to talk to you about off mic. Yeah, all yeah. through the years, the 36 years I've been doing the Newport Music Hall, I mean, we, we've been growing artists like you guys, The Toll, or OAR, or 21 Pilots, or RC Mob, mm -hmm. or, you know, there's always been a different band. Right now, it's camp. Right. Um, and you're doing multiple nights with them, aren't you? Three sold-out shows at the Newport. Right, it's like the Clash in New York City at Bonds Theater. Yeah, it's huge. That's pretty cool. It's huge, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So we we took kind of that Bill Graham model. Now, I was fortunate enough, I transferred from Bowling Green to Ohio State to become in charge of the PEP board. Yeah, and I know PEP because the, that's how I got gigs. Yeah, that was the concert board. And right. we would tie in with Jules Belkin and do shows. Okay. It, it, and the, is that how you met, met the Belkins? Yes. Through PEP? A, through PEP board. Yeah, yes. that's cool. But I got an internship with Bill Graham. Tell me about it. Did you know that? You told me at one time after yeah, we had a brand yeah. meeting. When I was... So how old are you now? 21. How am I now? No. I'm old. In this story. <laughs> I know. We both are. My point is, how old were you then when you accepted that? I think 20. Okay. How did you get it? 20. Through Ohio State. And my brother was living in San Francisco. So I applied. And it was similar to the, the internships we have at Promo West now. It, it wasn't... You know, we would... It was in the marketing department and I'd put up posters for Day on the Green with the Scorpions and, <laughs> you know, so I'd go around and put up posters and right. exactly how Andy Flick started, exactly Andy how told that Chris story. Woltman started. Right. And All that, those guys started. And, and that's how, I mean, that's how I promoted my own band. It's the same thing. It's, exactly. it's putting up flyers. Exactly. So I did that for a summer. Okay. For, with Bill Graham, came back to Ohio State and then I got hired by Gary Purnell who was Parallax Productions out of Berkeley. Okay. I didn't finish at Ohio State. I was two quarters shy. Went to work for That's Garrett. the exact amount I was when I got, I went two back. Two quarters shy? When I got the deal from Geffen. I was in oh, Denny yeah, Hall for yeah. $3.6 yeah. or finished these seven courses. 
Yeah. So I didn't. Now, after yeah. after we got dropped, I went back and finished yeah. and graduated in the shoe. But so ahead. that was a little different. I think I got 21 grand or something to go out to. <laughs> I forget what the dollar amount was, but. It wasn't 3.6. It wasn't 3.6 million. <laughs> so I went to uh, to Berkeley. Yeah. So I lived in Burlingame, which is south of San Francisco, and worked for Parallax Productions. Bill Graham did all the shows in San Francisco, Avalon, and uh, Wolf and Rissmiller. Okay. Did all the shows in LA. I, I know the name. But Gary Purnell would do shows in secondary markets. Uh, Santa Cruz, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara. Right. So that summer that I worked for him, we did Go-Go's and all three. Oh, wow. We did The Clash. Oh. Just in, at the Santa Barbara County Bowl, we did The Talking Heads. So these are all bands that went, I was managed by Gary Fur, Kerfurst, mm-hmm. but after I was managed by Freddie Demand. Well, Kerfurst was part Kerfurst of Kerfurst was part of that. He was part of all that. Yeah. He, he was also the agency. He's passed. Yeah, but he was the agency where yes. a lot of those bands were coming out of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I worked for Gary Purnell for a summer, and then I was called by an attorney here in Columbus and said, do you know they're going to shut the Agora down and turn it into That's a Walgreens? That's what I was going to ask Walgreens. you. Right. So how'd you, how'd you intercept that deal? Well, I called Hank Lacani. I called and asked for Hank Lacani, and Joe, the older brother, was on the line saying, "Yes, yeah, Scott, it's going to become a Walgreens. We're tired of dealing with trying to keep it a rock and roll club." And I said, "Can I talk to Hank? I think Hank, you know, can I just speak to Hank?" <laughs> so we put Hank on the phone, and I said, I, "I'm a 23 year old with no capital. Yeah, no money." <laughs> I said, "How can I keep this alive, rock club?" Right. And he said, Scott, if you can have 25 grand here by Friday, we'll lease you the building. What we'll day, lease you the building is this? with an option to Monday buy. Monday or Tuesday. You got a week. Yeah, I got a week. I don't know <laughs> what it was. So I had put together a business plan already. So they say they're, they're doing this because they're vetting you to make sure that you're not really going to give them the 25. Correct. Right? Yep. So mm-hmm. they, they underestimate. Step one with Mr. Steinecker, you underestimate <laughs> it. Right? Well, I got lucky. What, so happened, what happened was, I this had, story you've never told me. No, this is a good story. So I had a business plan put together where I was going to raise $180,000, 30 units at $6,000 a unit. Okay. So I went and met with this guy I knew through uh, out there and I played softball with him in San Francisco, Johnny Kipp. Uh-huh. I said, Johnny, would you buy a $6,000 unit? Right. And he said, yes, I'll buy one, but you got to talk to my financial advisor, Raymo Vergati. Okay. And so I said, okay, cool. So he set up a meeting for me to meet with Raymo Vergatti. Right. He said, yeah, Johnny will do a $6,000 unit. And I have a lady, Mary Kasner, who'll do 130000 of it. And you fell off your chair. Yeah, so I got $136,000 right away. Then I called Gary Liette, who was a farmer, friend of the families back in St. Mary's, Ohio, where yeah, I grew up. I knew that. He bought uh, $30,000 worth. And then I had- How quickly is this happening? This, it happened quick. The, the big thing was, as soon as I got Raymond to say the 136, yeah. then I was able to call Hank and say, Hank, I'll send you the 25. So before I got the 136, yeah. Raymond gave me the 25 gotcha. so I could wire it back. Gotcha. Then Raymond flew with me to Dallas and met the Lacanti family, okay. or, or Hank and his one son. And that's the first I'd ever met. I've always heard of Hank Lacani. Yeah, he me was, too. He was a legend. Yeah, me too. Me he too. owned 10 Agoras in the country That's one how time. I know Lacanti. The name. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was a legend and I met him. And so we struck up a friendship and I ended up taking over the old Agora and turning it into the Newport Music Hall. And so what year 
does that happen? 1984. 1983, I raised the money. Right. In 84. I, I opened in 1984. You, and what was the deal that you couldn't keep the Agora name, right? Is that, why? why no, I took that down. Okay. You did that consciously. consciously. You, you made a brand move. Right. I made a brand move because the image or the reputation of the Agora had become very uh, drug-induced yes, and very uh, hardcore and so— Unsafe. Unsafe. So I did make a mistake. I wanted to get rid of the name to change the image, but I should have never taken down that great big Agora that was— No, oh, that was that an architectural sign, icon moment. And I took it down. Yeah. I should have just taken the Agora letters off and put Newport up there. Right. Exactly. But I took the you gotta whole let this go. sign down. But, yeah. I got to let this go. <laughs> but you're right. You shouldn't have. I shouldn't have. Because that's a legacy brand. You could have played It was grandfathered in. I right. could have had Newport sticking out on right. the high street right. forever. And you know what that costs today. Oh, uh, Lord. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was a huge mistake. But not a huge mistake was changing the name. Yes. Because, because there was safety. You had to make a brand move because of the safety problems. Correct. Right? Correct. And that's where the name came, Newport. I made a new port for rock and roll. I wanted oh it to be God. a whole different feel. And when people, we would, when we were hiring people, mm -hmm. when people would come in and say, hey, I used to work for the Agora three years ago. And uh, anybody who said they had any affiliation with the old you Agora, they were out. I yeah. scratched through the thing. <laughs> so we hired, we hired all uh, new people. We, Smart. We did Again, a, changing the brand culture. Change it, the brand. And then the, I'm surprised you didn't do this for me, but we did a jingle, a real, everything's new at the Newport, real, oh, yeah, real uh, right. poppy. Yeah. It's not even, I wasn't even into it. It was too poppy. Right. Yeah, but that but was probably was okay for the brand. To change the brand. Right. No, I got you. We had to change the brand. Right, right. So the Newport Music Hall became, um, we ended up doing live music three nights a week and we started out doing a dance night on Thursdays. Oh my god. Packed. Then we went to Thursday and Friday. Packed. Then we ended up doing Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for a while until the twenty one drinking law came into effect in the right. late eighties. Right. Which kinda really put a dent in that whole dance night thing. Right, right. So we were live always three nights a week. And same now. We're probably live three nights a week, pretty okay. much. So that's a fascinating story. You you had not shared. I, I knew the some of the Bill Graham stuff, but that whole thing about the Agora in Newport yeah. and you going to meet with them in Dallas, you said. Dallas. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. And you getting the money that fast yeah. is a yeah. wonderful story. Ramo Vergati and Mary Kasner. That's awesome. Two names. I haven't brought those names up in wow. In a while. I remembered them. Whoa. <laughs> um, so tell me, who was the first act? Neil Young was the first act. Neil Young. I remember the first time I had a meeting with David Geffen, and I didn't know it was David Geffen. Yeah. So I wasn't was huge. Yeah. I was a little intimidated. Yeah. How were you in booking this very first show? Well, it, I didn't actually book it. Okay. I booked it through Dave Lucas of Sunshine Promotions. Okay. I remember Sunshine. So let yeah. me ask you this. Yeah. When you started then, you weren't booking. You were an owner. No, I you was, were outsourcing. No, I was booking. I was oh, booking. Were. But to get Neil Young, there's you, no way some 23 or 20, yeah, 23-year-old is going to get Neil Young. All right. So how do you get him? So and what, can I ask Jules you Belkin, who controlled Ohio— which is Jules was out of Cleveland, Belkin okay. Productions. Yeah. Oh, I know. Big as you know how they controlled Cleveland, Cleveland and Ohio. Yeah. They 
did not want anybody taking over the Agora because that was somebody, if you, whoever gains control of the main rock club in a market controls the market. market. So I went to Dave Lucas in Indianapolis and said, hey, would you like to get involved with me? I'm taking over the Agora. And we struck up a, a, a friendship and he, Dave Lucas, it was Dave Lucas and Steve Simbesma. Okay. In order to show me good, they said, how about Neil Young for your grand opening? <laughs> <laughs> so. And you said, sure, how much? Sure. Right. And what an experience dealing with Neil Young and Elliot Roberts, the manager, oh, yeah. and the tour manager. I know the name. Yeah, you're talking some. Uh, Serious. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Rock and roll legacy. Yeah. Yep. So, tell tell the audience, tell the listeners how that works when you who you hook up with Sunshine via Lucas. Mm-hmm. You're bringing in Neil Young. What is the club responsible for? What well, are you paying for? Well, you know we the we paid the artist. We paid Neil. I mean, right. we're responsible for everything. They just helped us land the exactly. show. Exactly. So yeah. they're just a connector. Yeah. All Correct. the financial risk is well, on Young Scott Steinick. Yes. At the time. And I was out after that show. I remember taking all the bar money because I was literally out of money. I had spent Because you paid Neil. Well, I had paid that hundred. How much was he then? Uh, I don't know what we got him for. It was International Harvester, so it wasn't a huge amount of money. But um, What would you guess? Okay. Maybe 35 grand. Okay. Something. Okay. But geez, at your age, well, you I didn't spent have the cash. That whole $180,000 that I had raised <laughs> was gone leading up to Neil Young. So on I remember what? on what the just, radio jingle, getting the sh- club yeah, ready, getting the club ready. Yeah, yeah. the club was in yeah. really disarray. Poor, disarray. The yeah. only light that worked was in front of the bar where I put one of those round tables, <laughs> and Joe Brooks and I sat there and met with people with one light. How <laughs> Yeah, you know the old Newport. I, I know yeah. it. I know. Yeah. So I literally was out of money after that show. I remember taking all the bar money. <sighs> taking it home with me. I didn't even take it to the bank. I took it home with me, put it in a closet and wanted to make sure that I would have money to survive past that point. And it it was, that was in 1984 that we struggled through 84 and we struggled through 85 and then got better in 86. We were starting to come along and then the drinking law came into effect in the late eighties, struggled through the drinking law, always fighting the Belkins. And that leads us into, what, the early 90s. And then it was finally, I was in Jamaica with David Falkman, who was my vice president mm-hmm. at the time. I remember David. And I said, David, we, we have to do something to bolster these summers. Everything that we're making in the spring and in the fall, we're, we're, burning. we're burning in the summer because right. the kids aren't around. Right. We need to build an outdoor amphitheater. And that's how it happened. That's how it happened. That's how Polaris happened. Came back. Uh, went and met with Dave Lucas again yeah. and Steve Sambesma and said, guys, you're building this place called Deer Creek in Indianapolis. Can I buy the drawings from you? I want to build the same thing in Columbus. And they said, no, why don't we, why don't we become partners? So we struck up a partnership. Okay. It took us seven years, five locations to try and build an amphitheater. Finally, I didn't know you went through that yeah, much. Five, Sunshine and Belkins were competitors. So I met with... Uh, Lucas and Sebesman said, guys, rather than fighting Jules with our amphitheater, let's bring Jules on our team. And we all had this partnership. And that's when Polaris came along. Um, we found uh, 
it was 83 acres for $4.1 million. And that was the start of nothing. There was nothing out there then. And I found that through Bob Lieber and Bob Eckel. And I was going to buy the land myself through Bob Liebert. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when Jules and uh, Lucas said, no, we're all going to do this together. And so, yeah, Polaris came along in the mid-90s. Okay. And so, in the mid-90s when that's happening, then let's jump ahead to your premier venue downtown that Mm -hmm. you've now replicated in how many cities? Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh and now Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. We're building in Cincinnati. We'll be open in March of 2021. Congratulations. That's awesome. Now, is that, are these new venues going to be like, um, you know, uh, Express Live, Express Express is right now? Yeah. Very similar. Express was the first indoor, outdoor facility. And we called it the Viertier Viertier Stage. Stage. Yes. And that, that is the kind of the the size that the industry is most successful at now. Yeah, and it's you... 5,000 capacity. Credit to you. I remember talking to you, and I'm see my career is at the time when that's all going on. I think um, by 93, we've been dropped. I think we were at 88, 87, we get signed. 88, we put out a record. We put out another one in 91 or 92. Yeah, against Guns N' Roses. Yeah, exactly. Little bands. Yeah. Little bands at the time. Robbie Robertson, Edie yeah. Raquel, they were all on the label. Yeah. Um, but my point to you is, I remember having a conversation after the toll was dropped, um, before I'd really gotten into the branding business. You and I weren't doing business yet together, but you told me that you had this idea to bring back intimacy to the live rock show. Correct. By having the right number. And I, and I love that you talked about the experience. Yep. And, up, up close and personal. Yeah, exactly. That was the saying that we used. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's great. And from a brand standpoint, I kind of want to talk about that because I remember the day you told me that. And again, we weren't doing, I, I wasn't helping you with your brand at that time. Yep. We were just friends in the rock and roll business. I mean, we had done a lot of things together. You had yep. uh, you had held our private concert yep. when the three A&R guys came in yep. in 87 to yep. sign us. Yeah. Right. Or got you up on the billboard on High Street. Yeah. And it got me almost arrested. Got you almost arrested. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, yeah. That was Had a, you play a song up on the. Yeah. We had a generator and everything. Yeah. It, that, yeah, yeah. That, that was your brainchild. It was a damn yeah. good idea. Yeah. Um, but the cops did come to shut us yes, down, they right? Did. And I remember we had to run through some strange apartment to get the hell out of there. And then I got on a plane and we flew in Indi- to Indianapolis and played that. Night. Yep. Yeah. So you and I have a interesting History. background. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, my point is, when you brought up intimacy that day, yep. I thought that was so trend-setting and smart of you as a projection of what it was going to look like. And I wanted to ask you as a brand, and mm-hmm. it was your idea, yep. as a brand. And then when we decided, when you decided it was going to be an indoor-outdoor, and I think our company named it Vatir, you know, mm-hmm. Vatir from the Latin root, inside out, reversible yeah. Yeah. is what it means. yeah. You're getting intimacy on both sides, right? Correct. Having outside yeah. venue and inside. What gave you that brand idea, Scott, to make things intimate again? When Robert Sillerman came yep. along and bought eight of the largest promoters in the country. Okay. And he bought Sunshine. Yeah. And so we had, Dave Lucas came to Jules and I and said, hey, I need you guys to sell your portion. Okay. So 
We sold Polaris in 97. Then SFX, SFX ended up selling out to Clear Channel. Mm -hmm. But the word on the street was, is they now have the Polaris Amphitheater. They're going to buy the Newport Music Hall building and not renew Promo West's lease. So they could take over the whole market. So I, on a yellow sheet of paper. Your mead paper. Yeah, drew, exactly. Drew, I need a bigger Newport. (laughs) You're sketching up. And I need a smaller Polaris. So that's where the indoor outdoor. That's where the idea came from. Came from. from. And then they ended up not buying. And that's a great story. The day I heard they didn't get the Newport. But they ended up not buying the Newport Music Hall. So I was left with the Newport. So we decided, and I was already on my way with Brian Ellis and Nationwide Realty to build the indoor outdoor. So That's we said, there today. That's, that's there, there today. today. So we said, okay, let's keep the Newport Music Hall a raw rock club. And we'll make the new place, Promo West Pavilion downtown, this new, nice. So they each filled a niche. Yes. And you said to me after when we were working together, this line, I'll never forget it. There's bands coming up and there's bands coming down. Their fans are still fanatical about them, whether they're on the rise or on the descend. Let's give them the intimacy they deserve. And I remember saying to you, I can market that. You know, that's brilliant. Because that intimacy, and I think that's the first couple paragraphs when we were doing your brand together, I think it talks about the three eyes. And one of those eyes that you and I agreed on as an attribute of the brand was intimacy for that experience. Not soon after that, amazingly, and you and I laugh about this, you had you booked Coldplay. Yeah. You booked Coldplay. Yeah, through Marty Diamond. Yeah. 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 And this, I think two days later, Scott, they're playing... Market, or, uh, Madison, yeah, Ma- Madison Square Garden. They're playing Madison Square Garden. Yeah. And, and Marty Diamond. Swear to God, Diamond, it's the same week. Marty Diamond could have pulled, he's the agent. He could have pulled the date and said, Scott, they're way too big. He let the show play. It was awesome. Now, that's what I mean by a great brand. That's an indelible moment I'll never forget. You gave me, of course, a little nice VIP tickets upstairs on the rail there, which was very nice of you. But I'm looking down on a band that I know is already huge in, what's our seating capacity inside there? 2,200. 2,200 people. Talk about intimacy. And the experience you get for the band and the brand is amazing. And all those underplays, they're called underplays, but anytime we do... That's called an underplay. An underplay. When you are... Huge and you play small. Small club, okay. So yeah. I hint, I hint there, uh, are there some overplays? Yes. There <laughs> <laughs> I just had one. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I understand. But Green Day played the Newport. That's an underplay. Yeah, that's a hell of an underplay. Jonas Brothers played the basement. No, Jonas Brothers did not that's play That's an that. underplay. <laughs> 21 Pilots played the basement. That's one hell of an underplay. Yeah, that's a hell of an (laughs) underplay. That's a double underplay. Yeah, yeah. Well, remember uh, two years ago when we did the tour of Columbus with 21 Pilots? Yes. They they played all the buildings I used to put them in. They played the basement. They played the Newport. They played Express. And we did two arena shows. That's unbelievable. They did five shows. We had, we put out social media-wise, if you're interested in buying tickets, hit us up. And that's all you had to do. We had 105,000 people want to buy a pair of tickets. We could have sold 210,000 tickets. If only we had more room. (laughs) (laughs) How many arena nights is that? That's 
15,000 into 110. Right, right. You know, it's a lot of arena shows we could have done with 21 yeah. Pilots. Yeah. That's how that's, huge they become. Yeah, that's a great story. So, let's go back to, before we go forward, because I want to talk about AEG and that. Mm-hmm. I'm anxious to talk to you about that. But, you know, you brought up this idea of, you know, the, the continuous, continuously longest running rock and roll club yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. is Newport you, Music Hall. Your Newport Music Hall, yeah. that's right. And, you know, the idea of the reversible Vitir, yep, stage yeah. is unbelievable, and that's great. And I've been to the Killers and seen shows in that intimate atmosphere. Again, that was an underplay. Yep. Yes. Um, that did very, very well. Tell me about some of the, just some of our listeners who, you know, you've been living the rock and roll business longer than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just lived it from a few different angles, maybe, right? Yeah. Than, than you did. Yeah. But tell them about... I mean, what's what's one of the promotions, you know, because I know the risk you're taking in your business. Mm-hmm. You and I have had intimate yeah. conversations about the kind of dollar we're trying to get, why we want to get it, and the yeah. feelings we want the patrons to have when they yeah. leave. Yeah. Tell us about, though, when you're, or if you have, you know, book something, or you're looking to bring in a band because you personally love them. Uh, I think some replacements and Paul Westerberg shows this might be the case. Yeah. Um, but tell them a little bit about the backstory. You don't have to use any numbers, but but mm. just how the hell it works. A lot of people don't know what well, the risk it's is. It's extremely, and this is something that I was on top of when I was young, which I'm fortunate, but I tried to, I talked to Jules Belkin several times about it, is the, the key is, is owning your own venue. So you can control and have all the ancillaries, all the beer, the sponsorship, the parking, the merch. And Jules was always, he would go into buildings and rent. He never wanted to own. We had to talk him into really buying into the Polaris idea, the outdoor amphitheater. So, you, an under, so you understood that you needed an ecosystem, a branded eco, ecosystem Correct. that you could control all the revs. Correct. And I learned that through Bill Graham. Because that's what Bill did. That's what Bill did. So Bill was in a different era. He was in an era where he could do a huge festival, play, pay a flat fee, pay the Grateful Dead $10,000 flat, and he'd take all the money. Okay. It wasn't until Peter Grant came along with Led Zeppelin right. and said, Bill, the band is why the it's people the draw. are buying. Exactly. <laughs> we need, we need Bill, more than just— Bill, stop doing this. Yeah, we need more than just a guarantee. We need a percentage on the back end. So that's how that happened. That's how it started out as a 60-40— which is my deal. That's the deal. That's that your I, deal. That's, now that's, guess what I deal with? What? 90 tens. Okay. So everybody knows what he's talking about. This is amazing. So you're saying in the time of Bill Graham, because he owned the venues and he owned the revenue streams that he could create in those venues. Correct. He could afford, because no one else was owning the venues at the time and they all needed San Francisco on the West Coast. He could afford, and he had a club in New York at the yeah, time. Yeah. He could afford to say, Grateful Dead, to use your scenario. Here's your flat rate. Come and play. I get all the rest. Yep. You're here for ten thousand. Not bad for one night. Yeah. The guy from Zeppelin says Peter Grant. Peter Grant says, "No, no, no, no. We're all the equity. Correct. So we're the brand. We're the brand. Yeah, we're the band and the brand. Correct. That, that therefore I'm selling the tickets. Right. So that's how sixty forty happens. Mm-hmm. Meaning that the band got forty. Yeah. No. Well, no. What happens is you you give them a guarantee. Oh, and it's 60-40 if it goes over. Yeah, then you have all your expenses. Right. And then the back end, the band would take 60% 60. of the back end. Then it became 
70 percent of the back and end. now it's 90 then 10. it became 80 percent of the back end and now it's 90 percent of the back end you you there are some arena shows where they're taking the entire gross not just off of the back end yeah they're yeah no they're taking the no entire gross the yeah and you have to make it all so the promoter isn't making any money the building's making all the money so the building has to cut a deal with the promoter yeah that's crazy. So, changed. Scott, th- there's how the brand model, the, the, I'm sorry, the business model is totally oh, changed. Oh, it's totally changed. It's over the 40 years, it's completely changed. Now, an agent will call and say, uh, we want 200 grand to play uh, the market. And I'll say, but research shows you're, you're worth 100. I- I'm going to send you a $100,000 offer. But, Scott, we want 200. <laughs> it doesn't matter what, what you're you worth. It's right. not, it doesn't matter what it's you're worth. It's market value. It's what we want. Right. So you either have to play the game and, and get it to what they want or you have to pass. Yeah. I mean, it's completely changed. And that's why I had to eventually either sell out to Live Nation or AEG. You had to. Yeah. I had to go with one of the two because they're just controlling. They're buying not only all the arena tours. Now they're starting to come down in my world. And they're going to keep moving down. Yeah, they? exactly. And in the hot spot in the industry is my Which size. you called out 12 years ago. Yeah, it's, we're 2,200 in, we're 5,000 5, out. out. The one in Cincinnati we're building is 2,700 in with a movable stage so I can go down to 1,500 mm-hmm. and then 7,000 out. That's the ideal. I can do 90% of all touring shows in 7,000 or less. Yeah, that's beautiful. So the sweet spot in the industry is 5,000 capacity. So they've gone from doing all the big arena and amphitheater shows to now coming down and trying to buy all that 5,000 size show. Right, right. So I had to, they approached me in 2015 to buy me. um, Live did. uh, Live Nation. Live Nation. Yeah, Yeah, Live Live Nation. Turned them down in 2015 and then AEG approached me in 17. So then I had to decide what I was going to do and I ended up going to AEG. And what made that decision for you? AEG is owned by Phil Anschutz. Okay. That's AEG, Anschutz yep. Entertainment Group. Yeah. He's a billionaire out of Denver. And it's all independent promoters that they've purchased and they've let them keep their brand. This is a cool thing with what we're talking about. I wanted to keep the Promo West brand. Thank you. So we went with AEG to be able to keep the brand. I love it, Scott. That's awesome. That's great. Okay. What is the, out of any band you've brought in, performing artists, uh, just tell us about a scenario. The tool. No, no, no. Tell us about a scenario where you knew you were upside down and had to do it anyway. Does that, ha- does that happen well, often? That happens a lot. The, the industry is, is when you're developing artists on the basement level, yeah. A&R level. You're moving them Newport up. level. Yeah. You'll, a lot of times agents will say, do you want uh, the killers this summer? Right. You need to do, what's a good example? Some smaller band. Okay. And you know, we know going in, we're going to lose money. We we protect our downside because we have the ancillaries. Hence what you learned from Bill Graham. Yeah. And in a way, you're going to take the killers because you have that economic buffer of the ancillary. Mm -hmm. And do you take the killers because it's good for the brand? Yeah, we do shows that are good for the brand. We do shows for a lot of reasons. We have sponsorships, sponsors. We have box holders. 
Sure. We have Miller and Coors beer. Partnership agreements. Correct. So some shows we do because we know they're going to be huge beer nights. Right. Some shows we do, we know we're going to lose money, but it, it will be perfect for the box holders. Right. You know, they, they so you're want, taking all those emotional decisions in oh, your, okay. Oh yeah. When we look at the whole year, I'm looking at, and when a app comes across my desk, if I looked pure, just purely at profitability, yeah, I would pass on a lot of the shows. Really? But I look at the brand. It, it's, <laughs> can you get the act for a certain price? Can you keep the ticket price down? That's part of our success is we own the ancillaries, but I've always fought to keep guarantees down and ticket prices down. You still do low dose. Still do it. And I'm known in the industry, it, it's probably not a nice thing, but they say it nice. <laughs> Scott, Scott, you're a conservative buyer. Is that what they mean? That's what they call me. I'm a conservative <laughs> buyer. You, know. you probably say for your staying power and what you're doing then with A&G, hell yes, yeah. I am. Yeah. It works. Yeah, it works. Yeah. yeah. It's been very uh, successful. And it's, I mean, we ran into a lot of issues out at Polaris when they brought in a GM and it was all about how much can you make tonight? Right. Gotcha. And my vision was always, how do you get a person to come to 12 shows a year, not one or two? I love that. So it, we had a fight. I used to butt heads with the GM out there uh, quite a bit those three years that we owned it on. But yeah, we can charge $15 for parking. Right. Yeah, right. but you're going to get that person not to want to come back. Right. You can charge nine fifty so, a beer, but you, that person isn't going to want to come back. So you're taking into account the total, it's a Dr. Roger Blackwell statement, right? Yeah. That consumer behavior. Yeah. You're looking for that deep relationship. Correct. Promo West. Pe people know that if it's a Promo West show, it's going to be done professionally and it's going to be, pricing is going to be kept in line. Yeah. It's part of what we've fought for all these years. And now we have hundreds of thousands of people who come to our shows. And I they it. and it's because we, we spent a lot of years building a brand that we people did. are comfortable with. And now when we're going into Cincinnati, because of the Bunbury Festival that we own yeah. and do. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Way. People love Promo West, right. the brand. Because Which is what you and I said from the day we met. Yeah. That's and it, beautiful. And it's because of that festival that we do and the type yeah. of acts that we do. And the energy. Yeah. So we've got a really good positive buzz in Cincinnati because of the Bunbury Festival. And because you just transplanted a proven brand model that you have authored and put it there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that that's unbelievable. All right, now tell us about the one act that you wish you would have booked into one of your venues. Yeah, they were they were gone before I came along. But Led, who would Zeppelin. It be? Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. But I, I I've pretty much done every other band. I, I go on QFM every once in a while, and they'll they'll name a band, and I'll tell a story. I know you can. Name a band, I'll I tell know. you a story. I, I will. Um, uh, Black Sabbath. In, uh, what year was it? 1980, we did Black Sabbath at St. John's Arena with <laughs> Belkin <laughs> Productions. Okay, unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, what about, uh, this is near and dear to my heart, what about the U2? U2, we did U2 at Ohio State Stadium in 1997, May of 1997. Um, Sharon Roan at Ohio State, this was huge. She hired me and Promo West to produce that show. 
and Sharon Roan had brand. the kahunas to, do to it. say, I'm going to hire Scott Steinecker in wow. Pomo West. Wow. That was May of 1997. That took us from level here yeah. to oh, level God. here. And then when we did the Stones in 97, September of 97, you know, that's the pinnacle in the industry if you've done a Stone show. I um, love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you say, I can do any show. Yeah. You do the Rolling exactly. Stones. When you, you, when you do, do the Rolling show. Stones. And AEG, the company I work for, owns yeah. the tour. So, um, so that's yeah. the one-two punch. Yeah. What? <laughs> Have be, that you've done the Stones, yeah. and now the company you work for owns the we Stones own tour. The Stones tour. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. That's called a one-two. Yeah. Punch. That's yeah. That's pretty. It's pretty cool, actually. Uh, John Meglin of Concerts West, who uh-huh. is owned by AEG, uh-huh. owns the Stones tour. That's that's awesome. It's pretty cool. Okay, so you spend all your time around music. Mm-hmm. And you've done an unbelievable job of building your personal and professional brands, the Scott Steinecker brand and Promo West mm. over all these years now, Express Live to keep things clear. Yeah. And you've grown, obviously, to cities and you're taking that brand and you're putting you're putting on the road. As a music aficionado, who is the best live act you've ever seen? Wow. The best live live act you've ever seen. I mean, there's so many of them, but um, Tom Petty's my favorite. I mean, could you imagine seeing him in the Newport? No, I would have loved to. Just jam. Did you? No, but he did play. He opened for Meatloaf at the old Agora there when it was the Agora. Meatloaf. Opened for Meatloaf. Tom Petty opened for Meatloaf. Meatloaf. <laughs> That's I got a great Meatloaf story. Can Give I it tell to you? Us. Yeah, story? Yes, of course. You're so on. I'm at an ICM party in LA. ICM is for... Uh, ICM, the agency. Yeah, it's an agency. It's creative a, management. That's right. Uh, International creative, creative management. management. That's it. And we're at a party and Meatloaf's there. So my <laughs> wife and I are sitting across from he and his his wife and we're talking. Uh-huh. And, I, and I go, I, I got to go to the restroom. He goes, I do too. So we get in line. To go into the restroom. Uh-huh. We go into the restroom. There's a guy at a urinal. Yeah. I go on the back side and yeah. Meatloaf goes on this side of him. Uh, yeah. So I'm sitting there going to the restroom. <laughs> Meatloaf leans back and goes, Eddie Money. It was Eddie Money. Yeah, Eddie Money was in the middle of us. <laughs> and Meatloaf was all excited. It's Eddie Money. Eddie Money. <laughs> like a little kid. It was, uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool. You made my day. Yeah. I have an Eddie Money story. You're the total open up for Eddie Money. Yeah. You did you know at, that at Newport? Uh, no, no. Where at? We did at some Jackson County Fair in Michigan. Really? Yeah. So here's what happens. This is funny. I know we got to wrap. Hold on. This is what happened. You get two rock and roll guys. See? All right. But here's what happens. Um, we get this show, and he's backstage. And you know, since he's passed, he was a great, great guy to be yeah. on tour with. Yeah. So we go out there, and there's no applause. Nothing's happening. We're bombing. And it's a large outdoor Jackson County Fair. It's pretty big. Mm-hmm. I don't know, 4,000 maybe. So um, I do my tickable sta- stage dive, yeah. you know, and I fracture my uh, collarbone, collarbone. Wedged in between two plastic chairs. I fell upright straight down in between the hard part of a yeah. plastic. You know what I did. So I get up on stage. Like Iggy Pop out of play. Exactly. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. So I get up on stage, put my guitar back on, and I'm wincing in pain. And we start the chorus of Jonathan Toledo. 
which I thought, well, we got this song on MTV. Maybe they know it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm not this far away from the guy in the front row. I'm up a little higher. And I see him going. And I turn around to Rick, my cousin who's playing guitar. I said, Rick, they're digging this. This is really happening. All of a sudden, the crowd is chanting, chanting. I'm like, this is unbelievable. I'm watching 4,000 people rise up. And we were a young band on the road. Yeah. I turn around to hit Mayo up yeah. on the drum riser yeah. to turn the song down. Brett. Yeah, I hit to hit Mayo up, our drummer. Yeah. And guess what? Eddie Money is out there helping me, and they're all screaming, Eddie. 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 They didn't care about yeah. me. But <laughs> how cool of Eddie. But how to cool. Help me, to help me, because I was failing. My oh, you were failing was, because that crowd didn't know. Yeah, they your didn't know. And show. we didn't have anything on radio yet. Yeah, yeah. But my point is how cool the guy comes out, he knows it's our how last cool. song, and gets the crowd up yeah. behind me. Yeah. So how it was, cool it was very that? cool. So we did a number of we did we did a number of shows with him. He's yeah. a great guy. Yeah. He was a great guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for being on. We're gonna have yeah. you back sometime because we have just touched, I mean, some of the brand points that you brought up today. Yeah about banding and business building and your journey, your personal journey. Some of those things, we've known each other over 30 years, I believe. Some of these things I didn't know. So thank you immensely for coming on. I I truly appreciate it. 